Well, hello there. My name is Jan Burt, and this is my podcast, The Burt Not Ernie Show, where we talk about God's promises and the hope those promises bring to our everyday lives. Whenever I meet somebody new, I introduce myself as Jan Burt and say, like Burt and Ernie, since it's easy to confuse my last name with a different one. And almost always, people smile when they think of Burt and Ernie. That got me thinking. I'm a Burt, and I'm not an Ernie. But how often do we live as if we're someone God never meant for us to be? Part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Hence the name, The Burt Not Ernie Show. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dig into God's promises. Well, hey there, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited you're here joining me today. You know, I'm thankful beyond belief for the opportunity, the blessing, the privilege that I have, that we have, if you're listening, you have this opportunity too, I'm assuming, to uh, freely open the Word of God, to talk about it publicly, to put it out there on platforms. You know, there are people who love the Lord in other parts of the world who are not blessed to be able to be freely speaking from the Word of God, to pray in group gatherings, that attending church for some believers is very, like, risky business. So I am thankful. I mean, I mean that from, like, with everything I've got, I mean it. I'm so thankful that we can do what we get to do here on the Burt Not Ernie Show. And by we, I mean, it is is we. It's me here. It's my little dog who's very whiny today as a senior dog and uh, is deaf and it's just like kind of whiny. So I apologize if you hear him. I don't know what his issue is, but he's whiny. Uh, But so that's not the we I mean, though. I mean me and I mean you who's listening. We get to learn about the word of God, like all over the place in our daily life. And that's a gift that not everybody has. I don't take it for granted. I'm so thankful for that gift. And I'm so thankful that you are listening to the show today. You're listening to the Burt Not Ernie Show podcast, part of the Spark Network, now playing in the Edify app, and this is episode number 161. Okay, so we're back to our series today on uh, kind of going through all 66 books of the Bibles. I've been kind of calling it Every Book of Promise because we're looking at promises in every book of the Bible. And I think that this has been encouraging to me personally, just as a great reminder that there's so much hope all the way through the Bible. Every book has promise. Every book has hope. Every book points to the faithfulness of God and is just a reminder, like a clarion call to just believe and keep believing that what God has said he will do. He's not a liar. He can't lie. It's impossible for him to lie. He is truthful. He is faithful and he is good. So when I was kind of praying about what to what to talk about here in this episode, as we look at First Samuel, so there's First and Second Samuel, we're in First Samuel, um, I kind of thought, well, we're probably going to, you know, the Lord's probably going to put on my heart to talk about Hannah and the way that she, she couldn't have a son and how she prayed. And then she had Samuel and uh, Samuel grew up the boy in the temple and became, you know, a great prophet and judge in Israel. And he was, I mean, he was a game changer. He was like, she prayed for a son and God gave a gift to the whole nation. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture. Um, but that's not where he led me. I thought, okay, maybe it'll be David, you know, I mean, maybe David and Goliath from chapter 17 or, or just, you know, him being anointed as the youngest brother out in the field. Um, not even really considered with the other brothers when Samuel went to anoint the next King after things began to really clearly be, uh, well, he was led that way by the Lord because things were going south with Saul. Saul's heart was just not where God needed it to be. 
And by needed, God doesn't need anything, but you know what I mean by that. Wanted it to be. Um, nope, that's not where, where I landed. Uh, it was chapter eight. I landed on chapter eight as I was praying over this episode. And um, wow, I mean, while there's so much in this book that's beautiful and encouraging and causes hope to like spring forth, like that crocus pushing through the snow in the wintertime, there's a lot of that kind of, um, I guess, sentiment. It's true hope in the book of 1 Samuel, but chapter 8, not where I expected to go, but um, as I read through it and continued to pray, it was like, oh, this is beautiful. This is just beautiful, Lord, and I'm thankful for chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. In the Amplified, there's like a little header of this chapter. It has a header title, and this is what it is. You ready for it? Israel demands a king. All right, so sometimes the results of the things that we want the most are not so great. We might really want something and we might even get it. And then the result, mm, like wah, wah, wah. it's really critical. I found in my life, and so this is not me uh, preaching at anybody. This is me just sharing what I found in my life. It's critical to yield to the Lord, like the work of yielding. I think often about like, am I yielding to the Lord the way I yield at a stop sign or think of some of those, some places in, in America where you get on the interstate with a, there's like the stoplight, you know, like you can't go yet, but you're ready to go. As soon as that light is green, you're not like stopped long-term. Your car is still in drive. You're watching that light closely. It's like monitoring the the traffic. It's going to let you know when you can jump in here and merge. Like you're, you're yielding, but it's like attentive and waiting and you're ready to go, right? Sometimes I yield like that, like I'm ready to go, but I'm yielded. Other times I'm like more like I'm fully yielded. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in me and through me. And so I think that what chapter eight reminded me of this week was how critical it is to yield to the Lord, to let the Holy Spirit do what only he can do in us and through us. First, I, I made that about myself and now I'm making it a little broader us as those who follow the Lord. What does the Holy Spirit want to do in us and through us? Are we yielding to him, giving him the right of way, letting him lead rather than just fighting for our own way? The work of yielding is at times hard work. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I'm assuming that you have. It can be hard work. It takes effort on our part to bend the knee to the Lord and to let him have his way fully and completely, not partially. Like I'm talking about the work of fully yielding to the Lord, that really bend in the knee. It's this is in your hands, Jesus, and I'm going to let you do what you choose to do. Uh, we're choosing in those moments to trust him, even even when we know that our own desires might have to be like placed on the altar, given fully over to him, left there with him, laid down at the foot of the cross, and we don't snatch them back again. We can step back and we can choose trust and gratitude. And by step back, I really mean like sometimes we have to step back, take a few steps back to get a little bit broader view. What's the bigger picture here? I'm not saying that you and I can see things the way God sees things. We can't. We're not God. We're finite. We're dust. We're human. We're the created ones, not the creator. But we can take a couple steps back and just say, okay, I want to look at this. Like, what's a bigger picture here? I can't see the whole picture, but I can see a little bit bigger picture by not being so up close and personal and just focused on this one part of it that I want, but like step back, 
step back. And then it's a lot easier, I have found in my life, to choose trust. And it is a choice to choose gratitude and to ask the Lord to give us a heart that wants what he wants for us. That's a key part of yielding, like kind of an exchange. Lord, I'm going to leave this here, what I want, and I'm going to trust you, but I'm going to ask that you would give me a heart that wants what you want for me, for this situation, for the other people involved in this situation. God's ways are best, and what he chooses for us is best. But honestly, boy, oh boy, it can be hard sometimes to get to that place of accepting that it really is best, like really accepting it. We may not be able to like, I know it's true, but I can't really see it from here. And so I, um, all I can do is accept that it's best. I can't right now say, yeah, I, I, here's my proof that it's best. I may not have any proof that God's way in this situation is best, but I have to choose to accept it and then yield. So it can be hard to get to the place of accepting that God's ways are best and that what he chooses for us is best and then yield to his will when we really, 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 really want some certain thing. Here we find the nation of Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 8. This is where we find them in this, like they really wanted some certain thing. What they want? A king. Israel demands a king. I don't know about you, but I really don't want that to be like a header over any chapter of my life. Jan demands dot, 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 fill in the blank. No, I don't want that. I'm sure at times that could be said of me, Lord, by your grace and mercy, may it never be said of me again. I don't want to demand things of the Lord, especially not things that are like, this is not a good, I don't know, let's not go this way. And then they they fight for it and then they end up going that way. So Samuel, he was a prophet and we know that his mother prayed for him. It's a beautiful story, right? She prayed for him, prayed for a son and then uh, gives him back to the Lord. And she had several, lots more children, a very much a full quiver, a full household after Samuel was weaned. So I think, I don't know, little maybe three, probably around three, maybe four. I don't know, weaning at, biblically was probably a little different than, than it is in modern culture. So a little older than the typical 18 months to two or whatever we usually wean. Um, okay, so a little guy taken to the temple to live there, raised up to be, you know, there hadn't been a word from the Lord in a long time. And God started speaking to Samuel when he was just a boy. It's really phenomenal what God did. And the whole nation of Israel got the blessing of Samuel. I love that. So, But here we find him. He's older now in chapter 8. Um, it's That's what it says in verse 1. Samuel was old. So I'm not calling him old. I mean, he was actually old. And he had appointed his sons as judges over Israel. Like, you know, I'm older now. Let's start getting things in place. Verse 3 tells us that his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into all of the, I'm not going to go into like parenting 101 or that's really not what this episode is about. But it, it, this verse, verse three of chapter eight shows us some things that God does not approve of. Dishonest gain yeah, we need to get that out of our lives. Taking bribes, God is not for that. Perverting justice, oh my, that's so against the heart of our father, who is a good father. So this was a sad result. I mean, a really sad result. These boys were not like their daddy. And we don't need to try to pick apart why. Um, we can speculate. I don't, I'm not going to go there because I don't know. I only know what's here in the word of God. I don't know why they ended up so different from their daddy. I'm just going to say 
it's sad. It's so, so sad. Verse four says that the elders of Israel went to see Samuel and they just told him that's like, Hey, listen, you've gotten old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now give us a king, appoint a king over us to judge us and rule over us like all the other nations. So that's verses four and five of first Samuel chapter eight, like all the other nations. So I think my suspicion would be they would have probably, excuse me, wanted a king kind of no matter what, you know, like give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. But they had a really good out, I guess. Yeah, it's because of your sons. And so just appoint a king over us to judge us. But that last little bit, that part of verse five, that last part I read that says like all the other nations, that's kind of telling that this maybe had more more behind it than just the issue with his sons. Now that was an issue. That was an issue. And uh, it's not wrong for elders to come to leadership and say, well, well, you know, there's just, this is ungodly. And so having your sons automatically, just because they have your same last name, step up into your position as you get older, when you're stepping out of it, uh, no, we got to have it the right person. God's man for the job has to be the right person. So, you know, that's, that's all legit, but that's not really all of what they were bringing to Samuel with their voicing their complaints. Give us a king. Now give us a king. Appoint a king over us to judge us and rule over us like all the other nations. And in the continuing verses of chapter 8, I can, I can back up this, this whole, um, what I'm saying here about what they're, where they're coming from because um, God makes it clear. God explains to us. The word of God shows us and God's kind of conversation with Samuel about this. And think of it as like a prayer conversation, not like a probably an audible voice conversation. Although Samuel did hear the audible voice of the Lord. So it could have been an audible conversation. But like God makes it clear what's going on in the people's hearts here. So this isn't me adding to the text. It's kind of a little further on in chapter eight. When we want to be like the crowd, like they have over there, Like they have this and everybody else has it and they're all doing it this way. And over there they got this and over there they got that. We want to be like the crowd. Want to be like them. Uh, I want that too because everybody else has it. Yeah, that could be a sign that we're on the wrong path. We're on the wrong track. Because usually when everybody is doing some certain kind of thing, it's likely not honoring the Lord. You know, because like what the world does, well, that doesn't look like the kingdom of God. We should look different. We should be kind of, um, what does it say? Come out from them. Come ye out. Like we should look different. We shouldn't be a photocopy of the world. We just shouldn't be. Uh, I don't know a better way to put it when say your kids want to go do what everybody else is doing. And do you just say, yeah, sure. Go for it. I don't care what you do. Go on. Just be like everybody else. If everybody's doing it, I want you to do it. You go on and just, uh, do it. Do exactly what the world wants you to do. Uh, You probably don't parent that way, right? Do you think that God wants us to just say, yeah, let's just be like the world. God doesn't want his people, his church to look and act and demand the things of the world. And this is what Israel was doing. They were demanding a king so they could be like the other nations. They were demanding the things of the world. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's what it says in Philippians 3, verse 20. So we're here as ambassadors, not as citizens. We're like pilgrims. We're just passing through. Okay, so now here's where it sort of takes a turn as far as maybe 
uh, what we might expect God's response to be to their like demand for a king. In verse 7, the Lord tells Samuel that the people had not rejected him, but they had rejected God from being king over them. So, you know, we might have expected like a firm no or like it's not, you know, God saying, no, you can't have a king. Instead, he kind of is like almost it seems like comforting Samuel because Samuel would have been like grieving. Like this would have been a grief that goes beyond just um, like, oh, we don't want to be like everybody else or they don't want my sons or they don't like me anymore. I mean, I think Samuel probably was like, oh, this is really going to have long lasting repercussions. The impact of this is about way more than just me and my sons. Um, you know, that's, I think that's the kind of relationship he had with the Lord, that he was willing to serve God by serving God's people for his whole life from a boy. And so I don't think that suddenly just dissipated. And now he's only looking at this through the, oh, woe was me lens. I don't think that's what, what was going on there. I think that when, when God was, was saying like, it, I don't, boy, I feel like I'm stumbling around on this part. I've got a lot I feel like I want to say, and I'm not saying any of it well. So I'm going to slow down and take a breath and just say, for me, I was surprised when I really was, I've read this a lot of times, but yet reading through it this week, I was surprised that God's response seemed to be so like, even as he's explaining to Samuel what's going on, his tenderness towards Samuel I think is evidence here. I don't know if anybody else might be encouraged by that. Do you need to know how much God is tender toward you, how he sees how you feel in it? Like when you hurt because something is is hurting people, hurting the people of God, maybe specifically hurting the church and dishonoring God, do you know that God may well come and just comfort you in the midst of even like, just like, um, is speaking to you about the whole reality of the situation. That's a beautiful picture of what God was doing here. And and he's not, God is the same yesterday and today and forever. He's not going to just, you know, leave us, ditch us, abandon us. And his response toward Samuel is just really beautiful. He says to Samuel, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're, he's saying they're rejecting him as God. They don't want God to be king over them. Verse nine from the Amplified says this, and this God, and this is God speaking to Samuel here. Like this is God speaking. It's in quotes. Verse nine from the Amplified. So now listen to their voice. Only solemnly warn them and tell them the ways of the king who will reign over them. It's it's kind of like God is saying, okay, give the people what they are demanding, but warn them solemnly, solemnly, like this is serious. Tell them what's coming into their life as a result of having a king reign over them. But he didn't say no. He didn't say you can't do that. You know, that's a powerful verse. God's response to being rejected by the people that he had rescued out of Egypt and he had given this nation to. They were a nation of people and had this actual physical land, physical nation because of him, because of him. And they rejected him like he made them into a nation. They were not. And then they were his response to being rejected as their king, a perfect king, no less was to let them have what they demanded, but to give them a warning, a solemn warning, and tell them what was going to be life for them under a king. The king would reign over them because that's what kings do. They reign and they rule. Verses 10 through 18, they provide the record of Samuel giving this warning to the people. The king will take your sons, 
for these certain tasks, and he will take your daughters for these other tasks, and he will take the best of your fields and the best of your vineyards and the best of your olive groves and the best of your grain and the best of your donkeys and the best of your flocks. Wow, that's a lot of best of. That's what kings take, the best of. And you, you will be his servants. And then one day you're going to cry out because of the king that you've chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you on that day because you have rejected him as king. That is indeed a solemn warning. It's going to get to a point where you're going to cry out and God is not going to answer you. Why? Because you rejected him as king. So there's no punches pulled here from the Lord or the Lord speaking through Samuel, his mouthpiece, his prophet. It was crystal clear to them. You're going to choose, but if you choose, you really are choosing to reject God as king. And this is what's going to happen. And someday you're going to cry out and God won't answer you. Boy, is that not serious? Can you imagine the weight of that? Like that, those are words with weight. Some words just have heavy weight to them. That's why some people will say, and I frankly agree with this. I totally think it's a spot on. I understand it. And I agree with it. Uh, don't speak that over me. I don't receive that in Jesus name. Like you ever have that moment where you're like, oh yeah. Oh, 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 oh. the words begin to have more weight and they're settling into you, you know, like this is going to impact me. You get older and wiser and you learn to say, uh, 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 not for me in Jesus name. I'm not receiving that. Just get off me. Um, you know, like you just immediately in the moment, as soon as you feel the weight of the word settling, you say, no, no, not for me. I know that's not what God has for me. God's not speaking this over me. I know he doesn't want me to feel this way. And so I will not let my thinking and thus my behavior, the whole of my life be changed because of these particular words. Like, you know, words have weight. These words that Samuel was speaking on behalf of God to them had such weight. They were indeed solemn. And yet, what do you think they chose? Well, we know, we know what they chose. There's like a twofold promise for us here in chapter eight, a promise of living with the result of what you demand. And by this, I mean any area of your life where you're rejecting God's lordship, his kingship over that part of your life where you, you know, like we can't demand what we want, reject his reign and his rule as the king of all kings, and then expect him to make it all turn out okay in the snap of a finger when we wake up and realize we don't like the results of that which we demanded from God, especially not where he has made it clear in his written word what's okay and what's not okay. We can't just expect, like, that's grace abuse, and it really is a heinous, heinous grievous thing. I believe it's a sin to commit grace abuse. I really do to be like, I know what God said. I'm going to do it anyway. And then hopefully it'll all turn out in the end. If I just, you know, when I get to, to my wits end, when I get sick of this folly, when I begin to suffer under it, rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, when, 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 then I'll just cry out to him and he can fix it like that. Ooh, dangerous place to be. Grace abuse is not wise, my friend. It's not wise. I believe per the New Testament that there is grace. Don't get me wrong, but it comes with, you know, there's also repentance. Does that make sense? Like, I mean, the the most grace I've ever experienced has been when I have been genuinely like grieved and heartbroken because I've hurt the Lord and I've gone to him in repentance. That's a different kind of, that's not grace abuse. That's such a, a treasure. It's such a blessing. It's such like that the forgiveness and the grace that I've received have been like, they're almost overwhelming in the goodness of God. And yet it's just a tiny little sampling of how good and how gracious now loving God is. But I don't want to be a grace abuser. Hope that makes sense. Um, you know, that's not always um, 
repentance is not always a theme that church folk like to hear about, if we're honest. Often churchy people, we don't like to repent. Sometimes like I did that once when I got saved and I'm not doing it again. Well, I might want to read the New Testament like all the way through and see what you find in there about repentance and and believers. Um, You know, we like the grace. We like the forgiveness. But um, doesn't that go with repenting? Isn't forgiveness a result of asking for it when it comes to us with God? We forgive freely. We don't have to have people ask us for forgiveness in order for us to forgive. We forgive freely because we're called by that, says the Lord Jesus Christ. However, we need to actually repent to the Lord. I really do mean it. To get his forgiveness, let's not be forgiveness abusers or grace abusers. Let's not take it for granted. We have grace. We have forgiveness. Let's still be people who repent, even if that's not our favorite thing to talk about in the churchy world. Okay, so in the end, the people got their king, who was Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. You know, God did a profound work. So look, here, here we like think about the profound work he did. Think about King David, who was the next king after Saul. Think about the work that David that, that came as a result of David's kingship. Like God did a work through his lineage that ultimately leads us to King Jesus, right? So, you know, God gets done what he aims to get done. And we don't really have the power to thwart his eternal plans. But guess what? He knows every word we speak before it's formed on our tongues. That's what it says in Psalm 139, verse 4. So, you know, it's like we, I, I want to frame this correctly. I don't want it to sound like what I'm saying is King David and his lineage. That was all a mistake. I'm not saying that. I'm saying God knew what was going to happen. God knew before the beginning of time, before he created all things, he knew what would happen. Nothing took him by surprise. Nobody can mess up and thrash and trash God's eternal plans. We're created. He's the creator. We don't have the power to ruin what he wills to be accomplished. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the people were going to reject him as king, as capital K, king of all kings, and demand a king to be like the other nations. And he knew that, you know, David would, would be the kind of king, a man after God's own heart. And then through his lineage, there would be King Jesus. He knew that. And Jesus is, you know, he is, he is the king of kings. He wasn't king per se, like David was a king while he walked on the earth, but he is the king of all kings. Make no mistake about it. So I don't want it to sound like I'm saying like, oh, we shouldn't have had any kings or, you know, that Israel shouldn't have had kings. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God made it beautiful in spite of the fact that he was rejected. He knew he'd be rejected and he knew he was going to make it beautiful anyway. He's so good. Is he not good? He's so good. We don't have the power to just ruin what God aims to accomplish. However, that's not an excuse to demand our own way. I think we need to look at both sides of this here. It should be a warning that we don't understand the holiness of God the way we ought to. Reading 1 Samuel chapter 8 should be a warning to us. And that's the one side of the promise that's like, it's almost like we read it. It's almost like God was saying to them, I promise you this. I'm not going to answer you on the day you cry out because you rejected me as king. Okay, that's not the kind of promise I want to come to fulfillment and fruition in my life. I want to be close to the heart of God. I don't want to demand, 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 and have any excuse for why I think it's okay for me to be demanding things. God's holiness reminds me that I should trust him fully and serve him honorably and repent when I find myself demanding my own way. 
And when God solemnly gives me a warning about what's going to happen, if he gives me that which I am pining and whining for, do I listen? Do I say, I hear you, Lord. I'm going to bend the knee. I take you at your word. Oh, may it be far from me. That's not your will for me, so I don't want it. Or do I say, yeah, 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 whatever, just give it to me. You know, so what's the positive promise here? The, the promise here that's more positive is that we can listen and we can heed and we can be blessed beyond measure if we have ears to hear and hearts to understand, if we yield. If we say, not my will, but yours be done in this exact area, in this part of my life, where what I really want is this, but I'm just going to say your will, not mine. There's a blessing to be had in those moments of yielding, a blessing that may well be unique in those situations. It may be a blessing that we, we would not find somewhere else, right? Like when we yield from that thing, I want this, but I'm going to yield to the Lord. His will, not mine. Man, the blessing we get, that may not be the kind of blessing we get like when we're just like uh, somebody at church pats you on the back and encourages you or, um, you know, you had a really great uh, worship time at worship service and you just really felt close to, to the Lord. You were really just worshiping him for who he is. Like there may be a special kind of blessing that comes when we lay it down and say, man, not my will, but yours. I really want this but not more than I want you, Jesus. And so I'm all in with you. Like there is a, a closeness that we have with the Lord in those moments, a blessing that comes that you don't get any other ways, even in the really great ways where you're like honoring and enjoying the fellowship of the Lord. I don't know if that makes sense to anybody else, but to me, I've experienced it and it's really special. And it's special because it's just you and him. It's kind of your deal, you know? I don't know if that makes sense, but like it's, this is you and him. He knows how much you want this. Only you and him know how much you want this thing. And yet you're saying no to it because he says no to it. That's a really cool experience to have with the Lord. It's a, it's pretty great. Uh, I highly recommend it. Five stars. You know, kings, like the one they were demanding in 1 Samuel chapter 8, kings do something. They recruit. That's evidenced very clearly in this passage. King will take this and the king will take that and the king will take the other and then he'll take even more. Kings recruit. Sometimes people in other positions of leadership also recruit. It's kind of a common theme when you have a leader over you. They recruit. But God does not treat us like recruits, like just a mass, a sea of numbers, because that's not very personal and it's not very loving. Your God is so personal. Your God loves you so incredibly much. Isn't that the reality of John 3, 16 and 17? For God so loved. That tiny word, so, it's awfully important. It packs a huge punch and it gives us a mighty big glimpse into the heart of our Father. God will have assignments for you, like tasks that fit into what Paul told us about in the book of Ephesians, like the good word works created in advance for you to do. That's what Paul talks about, that there are good works created in advance for you, Y-O-U, to do. I think that's in chapter 2 of Ephesians. It's super encouraging, by the way, like Ephesians chapter 2 uh, and chapter 3, really encouraging. Yeah, well, the whole, the whole book. Who am I kidding? The whole book, it's powerful. And uh, if you need a boost, like about your life and your situation and whether or not you matter uh, the, in the whole scheme of things, read Ephesians and it'll, it'll boost you. You'll get your boost. Uh, so be, be, being recruited, back to being recruited, feels so very different than being granted a kingdom assignment straight from the God who so loves you. 
Think about that. Here I'm being recruited. It's not personal. I'm just one of many. You know, they need a lot of recruits. The recruitment process is like they need a lot. They got to have a lot to keep this thing going. And everybody's all together is what oils the machine. But I'm not personal. I'm just like hand it over, fork it over and move along. That's very different than being granted granted, like gifted, granted a kingdom, capital K, God's kingdom assignment straight from the God who so loves you. There's no comparison between the two. Man recruits, God assigns out of the depths of his great and unending love. One feels heavy and burdensome and wearying. The other brings joy and nearness to the Lord and it fits us. It fits us like it's made for us. That's what Ephesians is talking about. Good works created in advance for you to do. My works, good works, are not your good works because mine wouldn't fit you and yours wouldn't fit me. It's like the cookie and you just put it back in the, you know, it fits right back in the shape of the cookie cutter. You know, like, does it was this cookie cut from this cutter? Yes, it was. How do you know? Look, it fits. Oh, it fits. That's that kind of perfectly. Like, like it's not a misfit. It fits. Uh, okay, so this fits me exactly And perfectly, this is the cloth I was cut from. And wow, oh wow, this is not heavy. This is not cumbersome. This is not awkward. When something doesn't fit, it's uncomfortable. It's cumbersome. It can be heavy. Uh, It can be too small. It can be too big. It can be too loose. It can be too tight. It can just be awkward. This is too long for me because this isn't for my height. Um, These are too, these boots are too small and they're too tight. All this kind of stuff, right? It's not that. It fits. It feels like a gift even as I do the work of it. Does that kind of make sense as a distinction between recruit versus assign? Yield to him. Ask him for his assignments for you, the good works he has planned for you to be doing. And enjoy the truth that you are so loved by your king. The promise of 1 Samuel for this series on the podcast is basically this. You will never regret yielding to your one true king, rather than demanding what you want. And you will be blessed by the God who so loves you each and every time you say, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. All right, it went long today. And again, I apologize for my dog being whiny. Boy, he was just like fussy and whiny. I'm so sorry about that. Hopefully it's not too annoying. And maybe you can just like laugh or smile as you think about this little old black pug sitting at my feet, whining while I record. Lord bless you. Have a really blessed rest of your day, week, month, whenever you're listening to this. Like, speak a blessing over just the next, you know, I'm just going to speak a blessing. Whenever you listen to this, may the rest of your 2023 just be so blessed, so blessed, because you keep showing up and receiving love from the God who so loves you. And you know what? He does love us constantly, but when we show up and are like, you know, you can just pray, Lord, will you show me your love today? Show me your glory. Show me your love. Show up and let him show you the love that he has for you because you are so loved. I'm thankful that you're here today. Thank you that you're listening. And uh, if you want to, feel free to check out my other podcast, The Prayer Podcast with Jan Elbert. Much shorter form content there. I do not have a 40-minute episodes on that show, but I would love to invite you to listen to that if you'd like to um, hear a couple verses about prayer and then be prayed over on each episode. So thanks for being here. Lord bless you, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app. I'm so glad you joined me for this episode of the Burt Not Ernie Show. It's an honor and a blessing to talk about God's promises with you. Have a fabulous day, and remember, part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Lord bless. I'll see you next time.